You'll be saying wow every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Alright, welcome to another episode of Power of the Purell, the quarantined version of Power of the Towel for the next Misconduct Network. Before you listen to any more, subscribe to the next Misconduct Network wherever you get podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, those are only two I really know of or use. But, yeah, subscribe to the network. You'll get this show. You'll get Silky and Filthy, Puck talking Bullshit, The Quickie, the fastest hockey show in the universe, and Sippin' on a 40, plus Posted Up Studios, coming out soon with shows like Meanwhile Canadia, a favorite segment of mine from Silky and Filthy, and a whole bunch more. Now, I mentioned this in our interview that is coming up with Jax McDonald, I guess former Canucks Army managing editor, one of the co-hosts of Roxy of Year, but and I talked to this about Kyle Bowen as well. I'm all 2011 out, folks. I'm all 2011 out. I've got enough. I've had enough of 2011. You know, they're playing the whole 2011 series, Chicago series, sorry, on SportsCenter right now. They're going through all three, all seven games. I might tune in for the seventh game, but I'm all 2011 out. It was a good run, but I'm starting to agree with Kyle that we celebrate losers way too much in this town. That's why I don't want any more numbers retired. By the Canucks. Because once we win a cup, once the Canucks win a Stanley Cup, everyone's going to want every single number retired from that team. 40, 43, 53, all those numbers are people are going to want retired. Whoever scores a game-winning goal, they're going to want their number retired. Whoever the goalie is, if he pitches a shut-up, get his number retired. But at the same time, I'm all, I'm all, yeah, I'm all 2011 out. I'm all 2011 out. I don't want to... I want to. I hope Sportsnet hears this. Someone at Sportsnet hears this. I don't want any more 2011 content. No more 2011 series. Show some interesting games from other series. What about that game four in 2010 against Los Angeles when the Canucks had to come back and tie the series and pretty much they destroyed the Kings thereafter? What about some great games from the 2009 playoffs? What about the game where they finally got their first franchise sweep? Like... 30 some odd years in. Something like that. But I agree with Kyle. I'm all 2011 out. I don't want to... It was a good run. They ultimately fell up short. But I don't... I'm not interested in any more 2011 replays. Really. And as I mentioned earlier, our guest this week, coming up right now, is none other than Jackson McDonald the, I guess, former managing editor of Canucks Army, one of the co-hosts of Roxy Fever, one of my favorite Canucks podcasts out there. It's a great interview. Hope you guys enjoy it. Just a minute. Don't hang up. Yellow. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. So we now welcome on Power of the Purell, the quarantine version of Power of the Towel, Jackson McDonald, the, I guess, former 
managing editor of Canucks Army and uh, one of the hosts of Roxy Fever. Jackson, how's it going, man? That's going pretty good. Yeah, either former or soon to be former, depending on when okay. this comes out. Oh, okay. It's coming out tomorrow, so not official yet, but it will happen. Okay, yeah, no, soon to be former then. Yeah. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so before we get started, I want to say on behalf of myself, Kyle Bowen, pretty much everyone who, you know, contributes somehow to Nuts Misconduct, thank you for provoking. And I'm not just and I'm not just talking about with, you know, you know who on Twitter, but just in general, thank you for provoking. Ah, well, thank you. That's, um, I mean, you know, it's funny. I, w- I would love to say that that's always intentional, but uh, something that I've been reflecting on a lot as I uh, as I finish up my time with Canucks Army is how much of it really wasn't intentional at all. Um, I would love to be able to tell you that I kind of figured out, like, oh, I'm writing this one, and it's going to make people so mad, and I can't wait to see how mad people get. But, um really like a lot of the time I would just write something and then, you know, two days later or whatever, I'd see people getting really, really mad on Twitter about it and go, Oh really? That was the one that you got mad mm-hmm. at? Oh, weird. Like sometimes I, I would write something and think that it was going to get a, a specific reaction and then it would go, would, wouldn't really go anywhere. And then another time I would write something thinking, Oh yeah, no one's going to pay attention to this. And then, you know, three weeks of like, back and forth on Twitter and Facebook or whatever of people getting in huge, big arguments or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, thanks, I guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but yeah, that, it wasn't necessarily intentional. Yeah, exactly. And I, have you been surprised by how kind of people online have kind of like in my, in my opinion, just judging off like reactions from your call, people just want to forget everything like pre Elias Pedersen getting drafted. They just want to like wipe that completely <laughs> from their memory and just focus on the fact that, Hey, like I'll, you have to admit the Canucks have a solid core with Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes. They may have gotten there in a weird way, but they do have a solid core. But have you been surprised online just by how people, yeah, like seem just to want to forget like the whole Jim Benning experiment. Like you mentioned in your article with Sven Berchie, people just want to forget that entire kind of, period of Canucks history yeah well it's funny because like the the last I don't know maybe two years of the the Benning regime maybe even three if you want to uh if you want to start it with uh drafting Elias Pettersson you know it's been up and down but I'm willing to at least kind of talk about it as like on its on its own merit or whatever like talk about the okay so these are the good these have been the good things and these have been the bad things but the um the period prior to that was pretty much just taking l's over and over again Mm -hmm. for years um and the reason why i think it's so important to not forget that is because we're now rounding starting to round the corner into not contention but the canucks being a a team that can at least you can at least feasibly see making the playoffs. Absolutely. And, and I think it's really, um, you know, potentially didactic to look at what happened the last time Jim Benning had a team that was capable of making the playoffs and how that went. Um, you know, you hope that maybe they learned from that and that they're not going to repeat those mistakes, but you see them, um, you know, signing a player like Tyler Myers to an expensive long-term contract. And, you know, you wonder, like, 
Tyler Myers is a lot better than um, Lucas Pisa and a lot better than Eric Goodbranson, but um, it's the same kind of type of player with the same, with, you know, more money and term attached to him. So it makes you wonder, I guess. That's that's all. I, I feel like I'm, I was always there to just be the wait a sec guy that uh, Jeff Patterson used to always talk about, to just be the, the guy who's like, okay, yeah, like if everything, if, ever, if nothing bad happens, this might turn out okay. But, you know, what if something does, what if something bad does happen? Then, then where are we left? What are we left with, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like, like you said, like a lot of analysis I read about Tyler Myers was it might look good the first, you know, two to three years. Like there's no doubt denying that he's going to improve the Canucks defense let's say for the first three years of that contract, but then the next, the last half of the contract, you there's, there's question marks. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that was always kind of the, the thing with a lot of the moves that they made this year. Um, and the year before too, like infamously, um, the JT Miller trade, which, mm-hmm. you know, has turned out pretty well. Um, well, I'm underplaying it. Like it's turned out fantastically so far, but the, um, the, the, the moves that they made over the summer, my issue with them was always just kind of like, okay, so these def- these moves definitely make the Canucks better right now. But realistically, you look at the core that they have, you look at what their deficiencies are, where they don't have really a lot coming down the pipeline, and it's sort of hard to envision that the Canucks are going to be better now than they will be in three or four years and so i would i looked at some of the moves they were making and going this makes you better right now but you should really be focused on two three four even five years down the road when i mean elias Patterson and quinn hughes are going to be in their mid-20s and you should by all means be able to win a cup with those players if you build around them properly or i, sh- I shouldn't say should because winning a Winning a Stanley Cup is incredibly hard, but you should be able to build a contender around those players if you if you make the right moves. Mm-hmm. So, do you think, like going back to the JT Miller trade, do you think he can like sustain this level, let's say two, three, four years away, and make this trade a home run? Or are you still like the jury's out on that? I'm. I feel like I'm the, and it may just be because I have a stake in it, because I was probably the most vocal person against it at the time that, that it was made. Um, but I, I feel like I am kind of the least convinced person in Vancouver that it's going to be the home run that it's made out to be. Um, I will, I'll concede that really now worst case scenario is probably that the team, I guess it's, it's now New Jersey that has that pick. Um, the worst case scenario now for the Canucks probably is that they get a New Jersey gets a JT Miller level, like JT Miller, the way he played this year level player. Um, but they don't get him for another couple years and they have him for a little bit longer, which is really not, um, that bad of a worst case scenario compared to what I thought the worst case scenario would have been, uh, nine months ago or whatever. Mm. But at the same time, I really don't know whether or not it's sustainable. It looks like his the way he got his production looked relatively healthy. Um, but there's also a part of me that just says, like, 
players generally don't randomly go from 55 point players to 80 point players um, in their mid twenties and then stay there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if his floor has gotten a little bit higher now, uh, especially if he's going to be playing with Elias Patterson, but there's a lot of factors to consider. And I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he takes a step back next year. He he did have a high shooting percentage this year. Uh, Like, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to take an L on the JT Miller trade. I was like you, I was thought like to giving up a first round pick for JT Miller was just ridiculous given the situation the Canucks were in. But at the same time, to get a player like JT Miller, who is producing at that level, you probably would have to give up a first-round pick regardless, even if it was someone who was more established at the time. Yeah, for sure. And and my um, the angle I always took when they made that deal was to say, like, look, I don't even really necessarily have a problem with them paying this price, or rather with a hypothetical team paying this price. Like, JT Miller going for a first and a third is not, Uh, or rather a JT Miller level player going for a first and a third is not unprecedented. Like, and people talked a lot about the context and how they should have been able to get him for less given that, uh, Jeff was having cap problems. And like, I agree with that, but my biggest issue was more just like, why are the Canucks the ones making this trade? Like just, if, if you have to give up an, uh, an unprotected first round pick at a, at a time when you're not sure where that pick is going to be and you're not even sure if you're really a playoff team yet, um, it just why, why are you doing it? Why wouldn't you just sit back, um, take some time, wait for a deal to come around where you can get a player that's like, 90% is good for half the price, you know? And there were guys that they could have had that off season yeah. who had who had amazing seasons this year and would have cost them absolutely nothing. Like Anthony Duclair is the is the yeah. obvious one. Yeah. But um every team could have had him for a rock bottom well. price it felt like he like you could have got him for like a third round pick or whatever. Yeah, and that, I I guess that was always the kind of thing that that irked me about that deal was it's just like man, do you, you don't always have to pay sticker price for everything for the thing that you've decided you needed. And, and, and another aspect too, and I really don't like, I don't want to slag off JT Miller at all because he's been amazing. But uh, another aspect of it too, was that like, if someone had told me JT Miller's going to play the entire season with Elias Pettersson, I would have been like, Oh, okay. Well then he'll probably can get like 70 points. Um, because Elias, because anybody who plays with Elias Patterson is going to yeah. do amazing. And I do think that JT Miller has been like a uniquely perfect fit on that line. But I think, you know, initially everyone expected him to be Horvat's winger. And it's great that he's worked out on the Patterson line and been as amazing as he's been. But we still don't really have that resolution to the winger for Horvat problem. So it, it's honestly just an interesting kind of thing to look at as far as illustrating how differently things can work out uh, in comparison to what the initial expectations are when when a trade or a transaction is made, you know? Yeah, and I think that's why I was so upset about the JT Miller trade at the time, because like you said, the expectation was he was going to be Horvat's winger, and my thought process was, why are we giving up a first-round pick for a second-line winger? Like, if you're going for like a first-round pick... You better get like a top line bona fide winger, but that's what he's turned out to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 pretty funny. Like it, it honestly, if they had made this deal like in my mind palace where the Canucks are 
are looking like maybe they could be a contender two years from now or three years from now, I would be singing their praises. It would be like, great, wow, yeah, okay, trade a first-round pick for a guy who's going to be play on your first line right now. Awesome. But, again, you know, there is this part of me that wonders, like, are we going to perceive it differently if three years from now um, Miller leaves in free agency and all the Canucks got out of it was a couple first-round exits? Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I just – I know I don't know if you um, – you mentioned to me in, in a DM that you were going to talk about the um, 2009-10 season where Henrik yeah. uh, won the Art Ross. I don't know if you've already talked about that or what your plan is for that. But no, we can talk, like, we'll talk looking, about it later. I got a few more questions. Don't worry. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, but I was I was like looking at uh, um, some of the numbers from that year, right? And something that stood out to me so much was how like for that year and the year after it, that team was just so like, it's a shame they couldn't, they never made it to the mountaintop because like they were so perfectly designed to take advantage of their window and be a cup team for a few years because everybody was just hitting their, their ceiling, like right at the right time. Right. And something that I think has been a big weakness for, for this um, Canucks team is that they have good pieces, but they're not, really it's hard to see how they're going to come together like in a couple years Quinn Hughes is going to be I think like probably a top 10 defender in the league but Alex Edler and Chris Tanev are going to be you know dead or retired or on a different team you know yeah so um it's that was always my 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 issue with Miller was not so much about the trade as it was about the big picture which I think a lot of people really miss when it comes to looking at sports teams and i don't blame them because the way that um that media is monetized it makes it so that you're always just really focused on the very very near future or the or the present um but i think people could use to sometimes kind of take a step back and go hey wait a minute like what does this actually mean in the long term yeah absolutely and you mentioned in your article about Sven Berchi. I was reading your uh, the articles that you posted in that thread. Like, oh my, you know, the best ever articles you felt you've written. And I read that Sven Berchi yeah, article totally. again. And you mentioned that why they traded all those picks for Sven Berchi was kind of make up that age gap. And I was just yes. and I'm and I was just wondering after reading that that may, they were focusing on the almost the wrong age gap. They were trying to focus on the age gap from the Sedins when they should have been, like you said, getting players such as to help the a Pedersen. Hughes core and I yes. get the and I get yeah. the and I get the argument that they didn't have Pedersen or Hughes at the time, but maybe someone who has a bit more foresight, like you mentioned, sees we're gonna be a pretty dog shit team for the next <laughs> two to three years. Yeah, we're gonna have uh, some chance to you know get get some high quality players. So if we hit home runs with these first round picks, like they did with yes. Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes, you have those picks that can all come together at the same time, like that you know, 2010, 2011 team. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the, the team that I'm going to use as an example here, not because they've done everything perfectly by any stretch, but just to illustrate that it's possible is, um, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh. And the, what I, but the, the thing that I want to focus on with, with Toronto here is that as far as how it provides like an alternative look at what the Canucks could have done is that the, the, common refrain in Vancouver was, well, you can't rebuild with the Sedins on the team, right? Mm-hmm. People people said that all the time. But um, 
in Toronto, they basically stripped the entire team down, um, with the exception of Nazem Kadri and James Van Riemsdyk, built it back up, and actually got to see playoff appearances with those players again um, after the whole teardown had happened. And obviously neither of those guys are on the team anymore. But it does show you that, and I, I, I mean, Henrik and Daniel are special players, and Kadri and um, Van Riemsdyk are very good players, so it's not quite the same thing. Mm-hmm. But it does show you that you don't, you know, you don't have to trade everyone on your team to to commit to a rebuild, you know. And I think that there's an argument to be made that if the Canucks had gone in a more aggressive direction and gone, okay, we're in a tear tear this thing down, we're going to trade everybody, basically everybody but Henrik and Daniel, and then aggressively rebuild and then hope that by the time they're at their end of their contracts, that young core we've built can, you know, the Sidians can take a back seat to that and we can go on one last playoff run with them. I actually think that was really possible, um, really doable, and probably would have been a better way to get the Sidians one last playoff you know, one last taste of playoff hockey than what they did, which was basically try to be competitive, but be really bad. And I'm sure the Sedins would have been down for a couple of years rebuild. Like they stuck around when the Canucks were spinning their wheels those few years. No, they would have done it because they, they already did. That's what they did. They just did it for, they just did it in service of a team that was bad instead of a team that might've had uh, a nice sort of end game for them, you know? So I, I, you know, if they if they were really so against the team rebuilding, like why didn't they just ask for for a trade in 2017 or whatever, right? Like, I don't know. Uh, talking points in the media are very weird sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So my counterpoint to your uh, to your Toronto Maple Leafs argument: zero playoff series wins. I'm not going to allow any sort of tro- pro Toronto Maple Leaf stuff <laughs> on my podcast. Okay, I, I I'll concede that. That's fine. Um, like I said, I'm not trying to say that the um, that the Toronto Maple Leafs have have done yeah. everything right by any stretch of the imagination. Kyle, but mar- mark my words. Mark my words. Kyle Dubas caving to William Nylander in their RFA negotiations is gonna spend is gonna spell the doom for that franchise's window. You think? You think so? Absolutely. Think, here's here's I what I kind of think they got a good. I kind of think they actually got a good deal. No, it like, shows. It shows. It shows guys like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner that you can kind of bend Kyle Dubas over and get what yeah. you want from your contract. If if I'm Kyle Dubas, here's what I tell William Leander. I say, look, we want to build a core here that can win a cup, but everyone needs to, you know. Take a, take bit, a less. bit less, exactly. Yeah. And here's and here's what I tell like Gillis did. Yeah, exactly. And what you tell William Nylander is, okay, if your goal is to make money, I will trade you to a team right now that can give you whatever contract you want. But if right. your goal yeah. is to win a Stanley Cup, take a bit less, take like a mil, mil five less, and I'll make sure Mitch and Austin do the same. You have to kind of shame him a little bit into like being all about the money. What, do you know what I think? Uh, really screwed them over. What is uh, I think my under, my understanding is that uh, Mitch Marner had countless offers, like countless offer sheets, and just didn't sign any of them. Uh, okay. um, and I think that that's what fucked them over. Because if I was Kyle Dubas, what I would have done is I would have happily taken uh, all the picks from one of those offer sheets 
and then just turned around and offer sheeted Braden Point for like a couple million dollars less. Because I honestly think um, I think Mitch Marner's kind of overrated. And I think Braden Point might actually be a better player, anyways. I so do. I do like Braden Point, but I do think he suffers from the whole Tampa Bay Lightning thing, where if he uh, like a late round Tampa Bay pick, everyone thinks he's automatically like the best thing ever. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have, let's talk about you know something sports podcasts I feel like have to bring up now quarantine mm-hmm. what have you been oh, up what have you been up to during this you know month month and a half stretch well um I spent the last week doing a lot of editing um for for Canucks Army so that they would be able to kind of have a smooth as smooth as possible anyways transition i don't know what their plan is going to be after i'm gone but that definitely occupied me most of yesterday and the day before but um man i've been i've been doing a bunch of stuff my landlord uh paid me to dig a trench oh nice for him uh so i did that and then um i've been why does he need uh, a trench or she um i gonna use it as a um like a basically it's to prevent flooding. Okay, so you're, bu- you're like building a some, moat. Sort of, but what's going to? I mean, that's are you building a like drawbridge right next? It's going to be. Uh, it's going to have. Um, he's going to put a bunch of gravel down, and then just put a tiny bit of like a layer of grass over top of that, so that the lawn will stop flooding. I think that's his plan. I didn't really ask that much. I was just like, yeah, I'll something to do for an hour a day for the next week and a half. That sounds great, yeah. you know. Um, but I've been, you know, I've been keeping pretty busy. I, um, I kind of, I, I mentioned this in my last mailbag, but uh, I'm also a musician. Oh, okay, nice. That was something that um, really was like a huge part of my life from the time I was about 16 to 23. And then I kind of stepped away from it for a while, never completely, but I just didn't focus on it as much. And so I've kind of been focusing back on that a lot. I play, uh, I play guitar every day, but trying to write a little bit more. Um, and then other than that, I've just kind of been like watching a lot of movies and I, I finally decided to get into the Sopranos, which is oh, nice. Uh, fantastic. So yeah, you know, I mean, better than the wire in my opinion. I, I haven't seen the wire, but okay. I think you're it's right. Better, it's better than the wire. That's my instinct is that you're right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, what I've been doing is, hey, I play the guitar as well. Like, I haven't played in probably since maybe just after high school just because I've been focusing on stuff like this. But I picked up the guitar, picked up the guitar again during quarantine, been playing Animal Crossing and doing stuff around my podcast. That's all I've been doing. Yes. Yeah. No, it's a great time to do it too. Oh, I should also mention, um, I, I like buried the lead. I also got like day one of quarantine, I got Breath of the Wild. Oh, nice. Um, And so I, I played through that like literally yesterday. I, uh, I I finished it. I beat the game to like 100% completion, like all the shrines, yeah. all the armor upgrades, all that. Yeah. So I don't usually game like ever, but I just figured now is the time to, to do that because... What else are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. What else are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've sunk, yeah, when I got my Switch, I sunk like at least like 120 hours into that game right away. Just went full, full <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. yeah, it's an easy game to do that for. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, what what type of music do you uh, do you like? Do you play? Uh, like punk. Yeah, that's what I. That, I mean, that's a. You're very, a pretty political broad. guy, so I figured you'd be into like. Yeah. Into yeah. punk. Uh, I, I, it's pretty like punk's pretty broad, but that's what I always tell people. It's it's punk rock. Uh, well, what kind of okay? Get let's get more specific. What type of punk rock? Okay, so let's uh, see if I can pick. Let's on... see if I can keep up. 
the stuff I'm working on right now is kind of like pop Jeff Rosenstock style, like pop punk. Oh, okay. Um, not, not, you know, like, not like uh blink 182. Like, um, I, I bought my ripped jeans at the mall kind of pop punk, but like sort of more, um, holistic, like, uh, buzzcocks sort of like punk rock, but with a, with a pop sensibility or whatever. And then, um, there's another band I'm in that is more like a, um, like Devo Per Ubu um, kind of new wave post-punk sort of deal where it's, it's like me and another guy and a drum machine. Okay. Um, that's cool. So yeah, that's, that's what, so I've been kind of working back and forth on, on that stuff. And one of those, one of those bands had an EP in the can before quarantine started. So we worked on finishing that up and doing some music videos and stuff. So that's been fun. Okay, so you quit you quit Canucks Army to become a musician. I I, I respect yeah, the hell out of that. Sure, why not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, that, that, that's really cool. So, <laughs> speaking of quarantine, uh, I had this whole conversation with Thomas Trance last week on my podcast, but I'm willing to have oh, it again. Yeah. When do you think the NHL is going to restart their season, if at all? Because I'm of the opinion that the, the season's a write off, and that I don't think there's any way to do it. Like, there's just too much, too many variables to think of, and and I mentioned this to Thomas Strands last week. The, 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 the suggestion they've come up with, which is have all these games at like a centralized location, have everyone at hotels, you know, busing back and forth. It's like some weird hockey POW camp. Like you're, 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 <laughs> yeah, forced, you're forced to stay inside a hotel all day, just go to take a go on a bus, play hockey, come back, and, st- and I guess presumably just sit in your hotel room. And yeah. especially, and the, hey, the CBA is a 50-50 partnership, 50% to yep. the owners, 50% to the players. If I'm a player and, you know, I'm pretty financially secured during all this, one of the few groups of people who are probably don't really need to work during this thing. Why okay. do I want, why do I want to go fly across the country, stay in a hotel for two months to play in front of no one? Like, why can't I just yeah, stay I home? I really can't see how the PA would agree to it. You know, like it just seems like such a disaster. I don't know. I mean, I have, there's a lot of different directions you can take this question in. Cause the first is like, what do I think they should do? Um, which is, yeah, I don't think they should, there should be hockey. Like, I don't think there should be hockey until it can at least vaguely resemble what hockey is. Like, first of all, hockey without fans is fucking weird. And not good yeah and, like, at least what they're doing in, in europe over it when in soccer like with no fans there's at least a bit of a precedent for that it happens once in a while this is literally totally. ne- this yeah. will never been done before if they decide to go ahead with this yeah absolutely and then the other thing too is is more importantly like can it happen will it can we get to the point where where players would agree to it like i i, I know if i was a uh, um if I was an NHL player, I would be saying like, no fucking way I'm doing yeah. this. Like it sounds horrifying. Like it sounds awful. It, it, it does not sound fun. Um, that these kind of things that they're suggesting. Um, if I was, uh, if I was Gary Bettman or the owners or, you know, whoever, one of the people that's in charge of, um, figuring this out and getting things back mm. up and running, I would now be focused on what do we do for next season? Yeah. Well, I assume they're trying to push this through because they want that TV revenue and they wouldn't get I, it. If I would if, assume so. Yeah. Um, but I, I think like it's, a, there's so many moving parts to it because there's a genuine, um, 
feeling in, in the U.S. that they're just going to start. Like, there are a lot of people who are just saying, we're just going to go back to normal. Mm-hmm. And just, it's fine. We'll go back to normal. Two or three percent of the population will die and we'll just live with Which that, is a wild you know? thing to kind of like generalize. Like, two to three percent of 300 million people are going to die. And everyone's yeah. just cool with that because That's they like need to go get a haircut. a million people. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, like nine nine eleven killed like five thousand people yeah. or whatever. So it's and like it, 10, 10 9 elevens or like one hundred nine elevens. Yeah, my God. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's wild. Like I, so I really, I feel like I can't predict what's going to happen. But if I were a betting man, I guess I would bet on cancellation at this point, which I also think is the right move, um, especially because. Um, the the NHL has a lot of franchises in Canada, which really um, throws a wrench at things. Yeah, the because whole, who knows what the boy is going to be like? Exactly, and you now have to worry about what about what two different, very different countries in terms of how they've responded to COVID, anyways, are how they're going to handle the NHL returning. And um, I just think like. It seems like Canada's pretty much taken the stance that, like, look, we're going to do what we have to do. We're going to hold out as long as we have to hold out. And the U.S. seems to be taking the, you know, the other approach, the opposite approach. And I just feel like there's too many moving parts to, to salvage the season. Um, I think, you know, like I said earlier, really my focus would be on trying to figure out what next season is going to look like because it is feasible that we're going to see another one of these quarantines again in October or November. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, and everyone, everyone talks about what everyone, that's going to look like. Yeah. Forget everyone, about this season. Yeah. Everyone's talking about like that second wave, but we don't know what that's going to look like to me. It seems like every sports league, especially in North America is playing like this giant game of chicken. No one wants to be that first league to say, okay, that's it. Pack it up, shut it down. We'll worry about next season. Right. It's going to yeah. take like, it's going to take, it's almost like a Rudy Gobey situation where some, literally <laughs> someone had to get confirmed a case of coronavirus for everything to shut down. No one wants to be that first league to shut down. Everyone's waiting for someone else well, to do it for them. Yeah. And on the, on the Roxy Fever Patreon a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode, like a dual episode on Spanish flu and on the mumps. If you remember in 2014 yes. when all the players got the mumps. Yeah. And um, Sidney Crosby had like the GameCube jaw. And yeah, Edward yeah, thought, like, like, oh, this is fine. Yeah, um, from Family Guy, yeah. And he uh, and we, we were talking about that, and one of the things that became so clear from reading about the bumps outbreak was, like, that the NHL just can't, like, they're not in a position to handle COVID, really. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, I don't really see it happening. I guess anything is possible, but uh, I can't, I certainly can't support it. Like, I can't sign my name to, yeah, let's all just go back to normal uh, and have hockey. I just, I think it's silly. I think it's, uh, it, there's no, uh, there's no way you can classify the NHL as an essential service that needs to exist. It absolutely does. Well, they, I say that as somebody who was employed covering it uh, <laughs> up until, you know, three days from now or yeah, whatever. So yeah, exactly. No, what they should do is just move it all to Florida and they can declare an essential service and just have all the games <laughs> like some rink in Florida. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Ab- yeah, absolutely. So, 
you mentioned you read uh, I read your article. I guess you got help with with uh, Jason Botchford. Great article, by the way. Good a good almost eulogy for Jason Botchford. Like, what was your relationship with Jason Botchford? I feel like I have to ask this question to everyone in the media who had like oh, some I... sort of like relationship. And speaking that, it's just like about a year after his passing. What was your relationship with with Jason Botchford? And what was it like writing that that almost that eulogy piece that you you did? Well, um, there's a uh... <laughs> there's a lot of moving parts to that. Let me, I guess I'll start with um, what my relationship with him was. So yeah. I never met Botch in person. Oh, okay. Um, largely, largely because I live on the Island. Um, okay. So I didn't, I've always been a little bit separate from that Vancouver media ecosystem. Do you think that's but helped you? Same, what's that? Do you think that's helped you in your coverage? You're kind of like a bit separate from everything. I kind of think it has actually, I think it's given me a different outlook because I'm less in it yeah. all the time. You're not running I'm, with I'm, the pack I'm, less. Yeah. And I sort of, I'm able to keep like a distance from it that I think is very healthy. But, um, having said that, there are a lot of guys that I would consider friends of mine that I, that I haven't met in person for the same reason. So, um, while I while I never actually met Botch in person, I did talk to him a lot, and um, mainly uh, it was I kind of I, I would say my my biggest like relationship with him what what it, or what it, like the rock that the relationship uh, was built upon or whatever was basically helping him do oppo for the Pravis. Um, like I remember one time he wrote something about Grant McCagg, who was a, a guy who's a scout and, uh, Botch wasn't really familiar with him. And I just immediately was like sending him files and files and files on Grant McCagg <laughs> being like, Oh, here's the receipts. You got to know about this thing that, that, that he said and this other thing that he said. And so it was a lot of just kind of discussing like, that kind of stuff, the sort of goofier side of Canucks Twitter and hockey Twitter and all that. And then um, he also, um, we talked a lot after the sort of incident I had with Ian McIntyre, where I wrote an article about something he said, and Ian McIntyre wrote an article about that article, and then I wrote an article about the mm -hmm. article that he wrote, and it was in the Bravies and all that. And so, I mean, I wasn't super close with with jason on a personal level my biggest connection to him was through reading his stuff but i did know him and get support from him especially um in the wake of the ian mcintyre thing so um when he passed away i felt really moved uh to to write something because i felt like a lot of people talked about him as a person or they talked about him as a writer, but they didn't necessarily connect those two things. And so when I wrote my, the eulogies piece, which was something that I had been toying around with for months and months, but just was really struggling to do it in a way that felt like a, a tribute and not inappropriate. Um, I had the idea, you know, to, to do a, um, a memorial for him in the style of the Pravis or the Athletes, And um, it took me a really, really long time to get to the right place and strike the right note. But I was eventually really happy with it when it was done. And I got the blessing from um, Kat Botchford as well. So it was, I think 
when people ask me what's the thing that I'm the proudest of, I think that because it was an opportunity to talk about something that's bigger than just a game and talk about somebody and the effect that he had on on myself and on people that I knew. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and speaking of your other favorite pieces or pieces with Canucks Army, I'm, I just finished reading before we started this, your mailbag, your, I guess, is this, is this like officially your last article with Canucks Army? Is that it? It's, it's my last mailbag. I have been toying around with writing something about the pandemic, uh, okay. but I haven't decided if it's, if it's okay. going to be. For, for our Canucks purposes, Army this not. is your last article with Canucks Army. So sure. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm reading your your rumors thing, and I want to go over all five because I just find these hilarious. The first oh, yeah, one, sure. the ninth overall pick in 2015 from San Jose in exchange for Ryan Miller. Is that going to be like a one-on-one swap, or is there more involved? So my my uh, understanding, this was told to me by a um, by someone in the media. I'm not going to say who it is. Uh, is, what, is it Patrick and... Johnson? I'm going to take a guess. Was it no. Patrick? No. Oh, see, but you could have said <laughs> no. no either way. <laughs> That's true. I could have, but it, but I wasn't. It wasn't PJ. Um, but it was told to me by someone in the media who um, I know has a fairly close line to a specific person in the organization. Um, and basically, from what I can gather, there was a trade offer made where the main pieces were the ninth overall pick and Ryan Miller, but there may have been other things attached to it. So it might've been like, we're going to trade you um, the ninth overall pick and a contract for Mm -hmm. Ryan Miller. In fact, if I was going to like, if I was going to guess based on, um, you know, how, how those teams operate, that would be my guess as to what the deal probably was. Give us a couple million dollars in, in cap relief and, and Ryan Miller, and you can have our first round pick. Um, but I, I have no idea beyond uh, the fact that, that there was a, an offer on the table for Ryan Miller that included the ninth overall pick. Mm, okay. See, I was thinking as, as soon as I read that, that, oh man, Canucks got to have Miko Rantanen. And then I thought, uh, this is the Canucks we're talking about and knowing their draft history, they would have taken Lawson Krause instead of like Miko Rantanen. He would have gone right after the Colorado anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's honestly probably true. Um, <laughs> I, um. Yeah, I. If you remember too, there was when the Canucks used to do those summer summits with the season ticket holders. Yes, where I talked. To, I had Tanbeer on the show and I talked to him about it. Okay, yeah, and um, and if you remember, there was one of the one year where they mentioned uh, that they could have traded Ryan Miller. So that was and everyone the booed them. <laughs> yeah. So they I should mean, really bring those back, man. That was so funny. Uh, they were the best, man. I, if my goal is if they ever do one of those again, I want to get a mole inside. Um, yeah. Like I want to have a man on the inside to to ask questions and report back because like those were amazing. Um, but anyways, yeah, there's there was certainly, you know, it was already out there that there were deals on the table for Ryan Miller and he had a fairly good season and he wasn't locked up for that long. So it seems entirely plausible. The rumor seems entirely plausible to me. Yeah. It seems, yeah, 100%. And the second one, the rumor about why the Canucks traded Jared McCann or Shu, was this about when you took that, you went, hung out with Justin Bieber? Or am I thinking of a totally different rumor? No, that was Jake Vertanen. Oh, okay. Jake Vertanen was the one who hung out with Justin Bieber. But there's, um, let's just say, I, I want to avoid uh, 
any sort of libel. Oh, well, you're not working for a Canucks um, army anymore, so it no, probably but is okay. still, um, I, uh, I, so just to just to cover my ass as much as possible here. Um, if you are familiar with the uh, Jeff Brown, Kirk McLean story, or the Ryan Kessler, Corey Schneider oh, okay, story, yeah, yeah. then you are probably familiar to some degree with the Jared McCann rumor, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, okay, so. Uh, I, I pick up what you're putting down. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So this is a family. Jacob Markstrom gets around a fair bit. I can believe it, man. Jacob Markstrom's a yeah. tall, good-looking dude. Yeah. 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 I, I can 100% there's, there's, believe that. There's more to it than that, but I, you know, I just, I don't want to get too crass. But, uh, yeah, you know, quite the ladies' man from what I oh, understand. I, 100%, I can believe it. Jim Benning wa- desperately wanted to draft Connor Bleakley instead of Jerry McCann in 2014. Again, I can yeah. believe it. And the whole, this, see, the whole. That one. Yeah, go, sorry, go ahead. Is 100% true, by the way. Like, that's, yeah. I basically, um, nobody ever went on record with it, but I've heard that from so many different people. Yeah, and the, I've heard a bunch from a lot of different people. It was Elias Pedersen versus Cody Glass. So, Jim Benning wanted Cody Glass. That's my understanding, yeah. yeah. And it was Thomas, it was like Thomas Grudin, Trevor Lynn, who wanted Pedersen. Yes, and from what I understand, uh, Ron DeLorme was a big okay. Pedersen guy. Finally coming up big. Finally coming up but, big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so something potentially libelous about Jake Vertanen that I can't... See, I'm going to assume that involves something to do with Cactus Club. Cactus Club appetizers <laughs> in some you way. Know, the Cactus Club I in can, Abbotsford, specifically. I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> okay. I think, I think I'm onto something there. I'm going to have to do some more. Oh, you know what? On your behalf, since you're not going to be able to do it for Canucks Army, I will dig into that rumor myself. Okay, okay, good. perfect. I will, I will let you do that. Okay, so another thing I want to bring up is myself and Kyle Bowen, I think we're, we're talking about this a bit. I don't know what your opinion is on this, but you know they've been playing a lot of the 2011 Stanley Cup runs on Sportsnet. They've been playing recently the whole like 2011 Blackhawks series. And are oh, you all are you all 2011 out as well? Because I'm just I'm over it. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with 2011. Yeah. And think about this: next year is going to be the actual 10 year anniversary. There's going to be more stuff next year. So are you all 2011 yeah. out as well? I'm just w- willing to put it to bed for another you know 10 15 years, and we can have the the whole last dance 10 part documentary about the team in 10 15 years and that will be the that's what i'm looking forward to i have a difficult time with i have a difficult time with this because on the one hand i think that team was so good and so many of my best canucks memories are are from that playoff run or that year and it's it is always fun to look back but when i see you know, I grew up under the shadow of the 94 cup run. And um, as somebody who wasn't old enough to remember it. I, I was it born in April of 94. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm over the 94. Like, 2011, that's no, my I team. Was, I was born in April of 93. So there you go. Um, and, yeah, it, it got just, like, nauseating. Where it was just like, fuck these guys. I don't know anything about these guys. We're celebrating losing. They didn't win. Yeah. And that is exactly what's at the center of why, like, I'm not, I can't get full into the 2011 nostalgia, even though I, a part of me wants to, is that I do think that, like, this city uh, loves losers. And I think that they should stop loving losers because one day I want to see the Canucks win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. 
You and, you and Kyle Bowen that... should like do a hit together. You guys have the exact same like attitude towards us. Like fuck losers. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, like it's it sucks because fuck they got like jobbed. Like so many things happened to them that especially are, that, that 2011 team that, oh. that just suck and it was bad luck or whatever. But ultimately, like win or go home, you know. So it's it's like I think we should. I think we should, you know, honor those, um, honor that team and those players sometimes. But I do think we also run the risk of of just beating it to death, you know. And so, I have kind of taken the route I've taken with Roxy Fever is trying to remember all the kind of little uh, forgotten stories that are also amazing, like um, the the season uh, before before the cup run was also an amazing season for so many different reasons. And yeah, like the playoffs weren't as great or whatever, but there are, there's so much fun stuff to remember with the Canucks. Like I'm, I guess I'm a bit of a hipster cause I'm like, Oh yeah, 2011. That's everybody likes that. You know, I'm going to like 2010, the the album they did before that's their good stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about Roxy fever, you know, starting this podcast, I'm getting into a lot more, Canucks podcast. Any anytime I see a Canucks podcast out there, I gotta listen to at least one episode. I think I feel like your show, Roxy Fever, is super well positioned to do a bunch of episodes during a quarantine because it doesn't really need any yes. sort of like up to date information. You can just talk about, like Absolutely you said, like not. random yeah. random stuff, and like you guys are good. Yeah, I mean the the whole thing with Roxy Fever was just that I kind of hit a point where I realized like. I don't find I I love hockey and I love the Canucks and I find um, a lot of this stuff really interesting. A lot of the stuff that happens, but I feel like there isn't hockey coverage that exists for me. Now I don't know how many people are out there that are anything like me, um, and I suspect that the kind of thing we do on Roxy Fever probably is not something that would appeal to. Uh, most fans, but there is definitely like a rump minority, two hundred or so people. So you're, you're really telling me tar- talking about Marxism isn't like a mainstream thing? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's the obvious. Uh, that that uh, that's like the obvious place to start. But even just like you know, talking for for twenty minutes about like somebody is insane, uh, you know, uh, QAnon conspiracy theory posts. See, whatever, I like, like that, Dustin. Dustin Penner or whatever. Yeah, like it's it's fun and nobody talks about it. So, you know, we might as well talk about it, I guess. But we I'm hoping now that um, one of our my co-host, Elliot, uh, had to move. Um, So he's all moved in now. And uh, and Vyas has done school and I'm done with Canucks Army. So I'm hoping this like in May that we're going to get a bunch of stuff done. and part of that is also balancing like what should be on the Patreon and what should be on the main feed because we had this great idea for Patreon episodes and then the quarantine happened and then it's like now all these Patreon episodes could also just be regular episodes. Yeah. So yeah, but I'm, I'm hoping to do more of it because it's been in, in a year where hockey got exhausting um, at a couple of points, Roxy Fever was always fun. So yeah, and so are you guys all on in Victoria? Uh, I'm in Victoria full time. 
Elliot is in Vancouver full time, and then Vias uh, splits his time, so he oh, okay. is over here for the school year, and then in Vancouver for the summer. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. I didn't know that. that was, that's interesting. So I've got one more question. No, so, sorry, I was talking about Kyle to this. Who would win oh, in yes. an arm arm wrestling contest, you or Tej? Oh, that's a good <laughs> question. Um, the Eternal Canucks Twitter struggle: you versus Tej. Oh man. <laughs> That's a really good question. I um, I feel like I'd have to get a look at Tej in real life to answer that. Um, I can't help you on that. I interviewed him over the phone, I'm, so because I'm a pretty big uh, I'm a pretty big guy, and I generally do well in arm wrestling. So I kind of um, would normally give myself the advantage against a lot of people. But the thing about Tej is I I can't tell like how tall he is, and I know he plays. Um, uh, like pickup hockey or whatever. Yeah. So he's there's a decent like he's definitely in better shape than me. Okay. The question is just is he stronger than me? So I don't know. That's a very very good question. See, I think um, arm wrestling is just really just all about leverage. So as long as yeah. you have that leverage, I think you'll be fine. But maybe Ted yeah. has it. I don't know. I I. I I was about to say I, I I would fight dirty, but then I'm like Ted should probably fight dirty too. So yeah. who knows, man? Yeah, both both just you be like. Both of you would refuse like to give Twitter, up an inch. We'd just be locked in battle forever. Yeah, it just no, would never no, come to an end. Some, that that arm wrestling match would end with someone's arm getting snapped. None, none, yeah. both, neither of you two are giving up. Uh, yeah, certain <laughs> yeah. that is definitely true. Yeah. So, uh, just one final question. We want to talk. I want to talk about Henrik Sedin's 2010 season. This is the season that he won the Hart Trophy. Now, going back and looking at this season, I was surprised. Like. When you go back like a few years later, if you get maybe if it was a close vote or if it was like a wide open, you know, vote. Totally. But it was pretty close with him and Ovechkin looking at the voting. Like him and Ovechkin were neck and neck. And I think like as much as I like Henrik Seen, there's a pretty good case you could have made for Ovechkin that year winning the Hart Trophy. Absolutely. Because that Especially was Especially because he 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 um he had the Art Ross on lockdown yeah. before the last game. And yeah. then, uh, and then Henrik, you know, obviously they had the famous like, uh, performance against the flames where, you know, I, yeah, I can't remember how many points dumb. it was. I think it was four points or something. Yeah, Henrik to, had, Henrik to, had four points and Daniel had three, like a hat trick and assist. They both had four points. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So I, so there's absolutely a case to be made that, that uh, Ovechkin deserved it too. I'm very glad that it was Henrik, because as we know now, you know, Ovechkin had a lot of um, opportunities to win individual trophies and Henrik had less. So I'm glad that it was Henrik. But yeah, no, it was very close. Yeah. And speaking of that game against the Flames, Ovechkin, the game before, had three points. He had a three yeah. point, you had three points. And everyone, I'm, I'm just reading back a few of these articles. You know, Henrik needed a big game in order to, you know, I think he had a bit of a lead before then, but he needed a big game to kind of cement the Hart, the uh, Art Ross trophy. And of course, like you said, he, he managed to get four assists. But that's the year Ovechkin, the 2010 Cavs, who get bounced in the first round by Montreal. Yeah. But they were, they were an extremely dominant team. Like they were like yeah. almost a 20, like people, I think, talk about the 2011 Canucks because they got the game seven of the finals, obviously. But. The 2010 Caps are just as dominant of a regular season team. Like they steamrolled the league that year, and I yeah. think, you know, if if Ovechkin wins that Art Ross Trophy, he probably wins the Hart Trophy as well. Knowing how NHL yeah, I think voting you're probably works, probably right. Yeah, yeah, I think and, you're probably right. 
Mm-hmm. And he, uh, Henrik that year, he just, he had 14 more assists than Joe Thorne. Like he was just extremely, yeah. dude, like that was like prime Henrik Sedin playmaking ability. And he did a lot of it without Daniel Sedin. If you remember that season, Daniel Sedin. That's really the amazing thing. And and the, the funny thing about it too, is you look back at the stats from that year from, um, uh, from the Canucks specifically, like all the players and how many points they had. If you look at Daniel's totals and you're like, 85 points. Oh, that's that's weird that Henrik had so many more than Daniel. And then you remember, oh, Daniel was hurt for like almost 20 games. Yeah. So it's like if he had been uh, if he had been healthy, they might have tied for the Art Ross. Yeah, they could have been like, they could have been one two in in league scoring that year. Very yeah. Um, but that was really, I think, the thing that kind of um, cemented Henrik as an elite, uh, not just an elite center, but like an the, the kind of center that could play on the best team in the league um, was that losing Daniel, it proved that he was a, a three-dimensional player who wasn't just kind of needed his brother there with him to take advantage of the sort of, you know, dolphin sonar communication thing that they had going on or whatever. Like he, and it's the hilarious thing is he, that season uh, scored I believe 29 goals, um, which is far and away the most he ever scored in a season. And then it was like Daniel came back and then he was like, okay, yeah, yeah I don't I, need I don't anymore. To score goals anymore. Yeah. Like just the idea that he was, he was like, Oh, I'll just become a goal scorer because the goal scorer on my line is, is hurt. And then forget about it for the rest of my career. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but you know what? It's interesting about this season and what I like about this season from Henrik is, People always talk about, oh, you can't really choose which Sedin's better. Yes, you can. It's Henrik Sedin because of this season. He did it without Daniel Sedin. You can't really say the same about Daniel. The question's so always going to be my, there. Here's my um, uh, opinion on this. I always say that Henrik uh, was better at his peak, had the had the better uh, like career or whatever, like had the, the, the higher heights, yeah. we'll say, uh, but that Daniel was more consistent. Um, because he had, uh, he right out of the gate, he was almost a 20 goal scorer in his first season. And then at the end of his career, when, uh, Henrik started to sort of take a step back, Daniel still put up, um, pretty impressive numbers and, and impressive goal numbers specifically. Um, but yeah, I do agree. I think Henrik was, uh, certainly you, you can make the case for, you can make an easier case for Henrik because, he had the season where Daniel was hurt and yeah. did fantastically. Whereas when Henrik was hurt, Daniel kind of crumbled. Although you can blame a lot of that on John Tortorella, I think. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So one other thing I remember from this from this season, the Stefan Auger situation. Do you remember anything? when? Oh! That's man, the one thing I remember were, from the season. So you are reminding me, and doing this, because um, I, I did do a little bit of preliminary research because you mentioned we were going to talk about it. And... I have decided that I think this is actually my favorite Canucks season ever. Um, oh, okay. It was certainly the season that cemented my fandom for a lifetime. I was uh, in grade 11 at the time, and um, I was I had been a big hockey fan um, since I was a kid, but it was mostly because of my dad. Mm. And at this point, I was... Uh, 
my parents had split up. I was living away from my dad and I wasn't actually seeing him that much because he lived on the mainland and I lived on the island. And I was like a teenager and on weekends, like I didn't want to go see my dad anymore. I wanted to like go get drunk at bush parties or whatever, you know, whatever you do when you're 16. Um, and, uh, but I was still like obsessively focused on the Canucks this year. Um, and I think it was, it was really the season that like cemented that this was something I was going to pay attention to for the rest of my life. But, um, the fact that there was also like, uh, a vast, you know, referee conspiracy, that's obviously extremely my shit. (laughs) And then, um, this season also featured, um, some really great, uh, trades and transactions, which you might want to talk about later. I don't know, but, um, hands down my favorite thing about this season and i just wouldn't be able to forgive myself if i didn't mention it is the uh brad lukowicz goal from yes. um uh i believe it's january 26 2010 uh game winner against the buffalo sabers uh henrik passes it uh like between his legs to lukowicz who just absolutely fucking roofs it um, I think Lukowicz played like three games for the Canucks yeah, and not scored that player. one goal. Um, but it's like whenever people ask me what my favorite goal is, I always pick that one just because it was so funny um, to see him like be so surprised that he did that. And it just shows how, you know, my favorite thing about the Twins always was that they could make so many of these guys uh, look like superstars for a night. You could ask so many players like what's the height of your career so many like one and done players and they'll say oh well like i got to play a shift with henrik and daniel and i scored a goal you know um so i just wanted to mention that before we go any further because yeah one of my favorite moments ever this is also shane o'brien's final year with the vancouver Canucks. he played 65 games the uh the picture boy of roxy fever that's right i mean like it's just it doesn't get any more perfect than that. And Kyle Wellwood yes. was the third line center this year as well. And that's another guy who like is just a folk, you know, a folk legend in Vancouver. Um and obviously, you know, I think like this team um made some they made some moves uh that I think ultimately paid off, but that were upsetting to me at the time because like I think, and Kyle, Kyle Wellwood's even admitted this in interviews, like Manny Malhotra was a better fit on their third line mm-hmm. for the way they wanted to play than Kyle Wellwood was. Um, but I really liked Kyle Wellwood, so I was bummed when they when they got rid of him. And, um, and they also traded like Michael Grabner, which did not work out as well, but he was a guy that I really liked. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think like my hot take is that uh, this this is a this was maybe a more fun season to follow than even the, the 2011 season. That, yeah. If you that like everyone... the, if you like the auxiliary kind of storyline surrounding a season, this was, this was definitely a good one. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I forgot like what a rich uh, time in, in Canucks history it was, especially like the Stefano J thing. Oh man, that was like, that was such a formative thing for me as a Canucks fan, because it really taught me that like, it's more complicated than just like the better, bigger, meaner team wins or whatever. Like there are other factors at play, sometimes bad luck or a grudge um, can, can cost teams, you know? Yeah. And I think that's almost the beginning of the whole Canucks us against the world mentality 
that kind 100%. of that still kind of permeates like the, the the fan base especially. Yeah, and I'm but for the record, I love that about Canucks fans. Me, like, yeah, me too. That's one. Of, that's that's one why of I think Jason like. Botchford, you know, connected so well with fans. Absolutely. He got he got that us versus the world mentality better than any and, other Canucks writer I, out there. And this is part of the reason that I think I I answered someone in a mailbag recently where I talked about this, but uh, I basically said that the reason I'm so hard on the Canucks is because I don't see how you can watch um, what happened in 2011 and 2010 and and everything and think that there's any other way for the Canucks to win a Stanley Cup than to be far and away the best team in the league. Because... um, they're certainly never going to get good luck and they're never going to have the league on their side or the referees on their side. So they just have to be playing better than every other team in the league for long enough that they can pull out a win in, in the Stanley cup final. And I, but having said that, like, I think it's great that Canucks fans hate the league and hate Gary Bettman and hate Toronto. Um, I think it's awesome because they should, um, because, I, I just I think you're crazy if you think that the the league operates fairly or yeah. that the um, the refs. You have to be very naive to think the Canucks are gonna get some sort of break. I absolutely, and, and I mean, the, you look no further than the fact that the Canucks are to date the only team who have actually had to pay a cap recapture penalty. Yeah, like I am full. I am down with the tinfoil hats, man. Yeah. Pull them out. Marion Hosa is smiling right now with his so-called allergy to equipment or whatever the hell he had <laughs> yeah that's such exactly. bullshit he does not have any sort of allergy i i i will avoid uh committing libel or slander but uh yeah i can see why you would think that <laughs> yeah. yeah you know what? that's a good place to end this interview as as any jackson thanks for uh coming on and when's the uh do you have any like announcements in terms of where you're going to be writing next new episodes of roxy fever anything like that to end off I'm taking a clean break. Okay. Uh, Roxy Fever is going to be happening for sure in the near future. Um, hopefully more than it has in quite some time. But I needed a break from writing about hockey. So I will probably not be back until hockey is. Um, but thanks for having me on. This was actually a blast. Um, it's very, very nice to get away from the drudgery of being stuck at home and uh, struggling to find things to do and to just, uh, yeah, like bullshit about Canucks conspiracy theories uh, for an hour. I had yeah. a ton of fun. Yes, absolutely. Same here. And uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. Absolutely, man. Okay. Take care, man. All right. Thanks to Jackson McDonald for coming on the podcast. Much appreciated. Again, check out Roxy Fever when you, if you if you get the chance great podcast and also check out the other shows on our network the next misconduct network not only do you get this show you get silky and filthy the quickie sip it on a 40 plus make sure to keep your eyes peeled save it wherever put it in the back of your mind i don't care just remember this post up studio is coming out meanwhile canadia bunch of other shows i'm working on a show for it as well can't say what it is now but it is somewhat sports related okay so for people who have been listening regularly during the quarantine i've been recommending something every week 
to binge, to listen to. This has been books, music, TV shows. Been talking about it all. But this, this album had me thinking after I watched The Last Dance. Yes, The Last Dance. I'm not going to recommend it as a binge recommendation because I'm sure you already watched it already. It's enthralling. It's captivating. It's really, 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 really good. I don't think you even have to be a big basketball fan to enjoy it because Michael Jordan is one of those athletes that transcends sports. You don't even have to watch basketball. You know who Michael Jordan is. And it had me thinking about greatness going out on top. We all know how the last dance is going to get Michael Jordan. He's going to hit that shot against Brian Russell. Was it a push-off? Doesn't matter. He ended his career with one of the most clutch shots in NBA history. Greatness going out on top. Everyone wants to go out on top. Everyone wants a signature moment to end with. And that's what reminded me of this album. I'm sure you've heard of it, and I'm sure if you haven't even listened to it, you know the album cover. It's the Beatles' Abbey Road. Of course, like I mentioned, one of the most iconic album covers ever. And they're also almost going to like get rid of the whole area. That area is a very you know, upscale part of London. And there's people who live around there. And if you live around there, you got tourists trying to recreate the album cover all the time. It's going to piss you off. But luckily, it's now a national historic landmark or whatever they call it in Britain. So nothing, nothing's going to happen to it ever, pretty much. But yeah, why is this? Why did it remind me of this album? Because this is technically the last album the Beatles ever recorded. Didn't come out last. Let It Be came out last. But this is the last album they were all in together. Ironically enough, the song The End, which is the last song that Abbey Road Bedley, is the last song they ever were in the studio together to record a song. And the, I think I've talked about this when I talked about George, <clears throat> George Harrison's first solo album. They wanted to, you know, go out like one last time, go one last chance. And they asked their longtime producer, George Martin, to produce the album. And he said, hey, I will only produce this album if everyone's on the same page. There's no bullshit like there was at the Get Back slash Let It Be sessions. If you've seen Let It Be, you know what I'm talking about, the movie. And yeah, this is a, you got to listen to Abbey Road Medley. That kind of, sec, what would be the second, the back half of, a, of an LP and album. That whole Abbey Road Medley is awesome. I remember seeing Paul McCartney live just back in 2012. He played the whole Abbey Road medley back to front, front to back. It was awesome. One of my favorite concert experiences ever. But there's something to be said about greatness. Going out on top. Going out with something awesome. Michael Jordan did it with his shot against the Utah Jazz Game 6 and 98 Finals. And the Beatles did it with Abbey Road. Yes, I know it was technically the last album they ever released but it was the last one they ever recorded and they were I think determined to go out on top to go out and make one last awesome album ironically enough this album wasn't too well received at the time you listen if you read contemporary reviews of the album they think didn't think it was that good but then later people listen back you have to let the dust settle you see it's just an awesome album and I think I'm sure you may may have listened to it before, but if you haven't, then like me, you haven't listened to it in a very long time, the full album through. It's an awesome album. Go listen to it. Again, it's greatness going out on top. Not many great musical acts, great 
athletes get to go out with one final awesome moment. But the Beatles and Michael Jordan, they both managed to do it. Anyways, that's this week's episode of Power of the Purell, the quarantined version of Power of the Towel. I'm your host, Nick Bonney. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Power of the Towel. Myself personally, at Nick Bondi. Thanks again to Jackson McDonald for coming on the podcast, and we'll see you again next time.